Koppel, host of the Time for Coffee podcast, where you get firsthand career advice into the jobs and industries that interest you the most. And before we start today's show, I have a quick favor to ask you. If you haven't already, I'd be incredibly grateful if you give us a rating and a review on iTunes. And if you're like me, you need to do it now because you'll forget later and because it's the best way to help others who may be in search of career advice to find this free resource. So press pause if you haven't done it and do it right now. I'll wait. Thanks so much and enjoy today's show. Hey there, Java Junkies. Welcome to another K-Cup mini episode of Time for Coffee. By the way, K-Cups come in three sizes, single, double, and triple shots, or roughly one minute, five minutes, or ten minutes in length. So if you don't have time to throw back an entire caffeinated career conversation, these K-Cup mini-episodes of T4C can give you a quick caffeinated fix, whether you're on the go or you only have a few minutes to binge. So grab your mug and take a chug, because it's time for a caffeinated career triple-shot K-Cup with my guest, Toya Fick. What advice do you have for our young black listeners, especially who may be interested in getting into this field? What do you wish you knew when you were in college or when you were just out of school? I would say it took me a while to realize that my experience walking around in the skin, having grown up the way I did, really matters to the conversation. Oftentimes, people who get to make decisions that impact people don't have those same experiences and don't know what could sound like a good idea may not actually work well in practice. Coming from the classroom, I remember that very clearly thinking to myself, the people who wrote these laws that now impact my classroom, my kids, my families that I work with really aren't folks who understand my kids, my profession, my parents, right? And so that voice in the room really is important and it really matters And to draw on that, to draw on those experiences as you sort of build your career and move forward is, is an important lesson that I, it took me a little while to learn and I wish I'd known it years ago. Probably known it and owned it, right? I owned it for sure, for sure. And not felt like because you were different from many of the other faces, looked different with a different background profile than many of the other people in the room that that meant they knew more than you did. That's right. It took me a long time to realize that I just know different and those different things can be just as important. Or maybe even more important. Maybe even more. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. So as someone who has worked on the advocacy side of a nonprofit, I worked for Mercy Corps for about six years. Mercy Corps is a global humanitarian development organization, different issues from what you're working on. But I fully appreciate, Toya, how hard the work is and how difficult it is to get ambitious policy or legislative goals across the finish line. Because what maybe some of our listeners who are not in this world appreciate is that so often you can be working on a single issue for years and years and years for it to come to fruition, if at all. But you and your colleagues have had some big wins. One of them 
was over the course of 2016 and 2017, when a ballot measure was approved by the Oregon legislature in which every single high school in Oregon is now benefiting from significant new investments in career technical education, dropout prevention strategies, and college-level opportunities. How long were you working on Ballot 98, Toya, and what was actually involved in getting it from an idea that you probably mapped out on a piece of paper to a new initiative that was being implemented in high schools all over Oregon. Oh, man, what a journey. We have been in education policy in Oregon for 25 years now. And before Measure 98, we had never done a ballot measure of our own. So we would help local school districts pass their own school bonds, their own local option levies to get more resources into schools. But we've never done one on our own at a statewide level. And so Measure 98 took a lot of guts and courage because it was a new space for us. But we led with a lot of looking at the data. So what we wanted to do was create something that impacts kids of color, particularly in a way that was very clear and very thoughtful. And so we wanted to use the data that was available to us that showed us that when a kid takes a hands-on learning class in high school, their graduation rates are doubled. When a kid is on track at the end of ninth grade, which simply means they have six credits out of 24, they have a fourth of the credits, then they are twice as likely to graduate. When they take a class that is called advanced placement that sort of gets you ready for college, their graduation rates go up to the 90s. It's astounding how clear the data is on those three pieces. And it was also astounding how hard it was to pass legislation just through our regular means of taking a bill down to Salem to our state capital and getting it passed because things are baked in the way they are and we had to convince people that they had to be different and that took a while. So we we started working on Measure 98 two years before it hit ballot, looking at the data, understanding the research, figuring out how to write the legislation in a way that made sense to voters and then had to convince the Oregon public that it was worth voting for and then convince the legislature in 2017 that it was worth funding because it was a statutory change and the legislature could change it. They saw fit. So it was three years of blood, sweat, and tears. <laughs> there were some tears. And after that session in 2017, the legislature allocated $170 million to the effort. And two years later, allocated $300 million to the work. Wow. So when I would visit high schools before COVID, I'd meet teachers who had jobs because of the work I did on Measure 98. And that I mean, I'm getting goosebumps right now just talking about it and hearing stories of how one educator in a small high school in a rural community helped get the graduating class four times as much money in scholarships than the year before, because now there were resources dedicated to helping to support kids in that way because of Measure 98. And it's it's been a journey and it was so worth doing. It was hard, but absolutely changing the game. And I'll just say one quick thing that I'm super proud of. Our graduation rates in Oregon have been in the 70s and we are still 49th in the country for high school graduation rates. And now we we just cracked 80% last year. And when we talked to districts and when the newspapers called, the first thing they said, superintendent said was Measure 98 has helped us really tremendously improve our graduation rates. And it's because of that work that we are on a really great upward trajectory. So yeah, it wasn't easy, (laughs) but nothing worth doing is ever really all that easy. I just got chills when you said that. So when you say it's not easy, 
could you flesh that out a little bit? Because I read that you were touring Oregon. Mm-hmm. So what would a typical day have been like when you were trying to get support yeah. for ballot 98 among lawmakers? Would you basically be camped out in Salem? Would you be yeah. meeting with lawmakers in their offices, with their staff? What were you doing? All of the above. During a legislative session, they're in Salem in the Capitol every day. I would be there almost every day. That's a big part of what I do is meet with legislators all day long in 15-minute increments, crisscrossing the building to convince them that this is worth doing. Before that, when we were working to get it across to voters, we would go to local chambers of commerce and do a dog and pony show, a little presentation on why Measure 98 is really important. And what I didn't realize, even though we didn't have a funded opponent, so there was no one saying, vote no on Measure 98, what we were up against was the fact that people have been doing education a certain way for a while and having, honestly, like having a little black girl come in and say, actually, I think we need to carve out some resources to do it this way because the outcomes are better when we do. I think that was hard for people to hear. It was hard for people to say, yeah, sure, I will listen to this person. (laughs) I will listen to this organization and tell our constituents to vote yes on something that, you know, fairly new. Even though the three concepts were not new, the way we're asking them to be done throughout the state was, and to set aside resources to make that happen had never happened before at the state level. They're usually small grant programs that districts apply for, and only a few of them get it. And we were saying... Let's not do that. Let's actually give them the money and have them put it into these three buckets. And that was a paradigm shift. And then whenever you're asking people to change their paradigm, it's not an easy road. And that's what we do. For those of our listeners who are not so familiar with the way that advocacy works, obviously you see that you're trying to change people's minds. You're trying to persuade them. Toya mentioned at the beginning that one of the things that they did was get data, facts, But Toya, as you were mapping out this campaign with your team, what were some of the other things that you were looking at? Obviously, you had to write talking points. I'm sure you had to draft collateral material, one pagers or something that you would leave with the offices. You probably also had to build a coalition. Maybe that's why you were meeting with the Chamber of Commerce. You were looking for local businesses to support the measure. What else were you doing? to get this across the finish line. We were looking for stories of people who just happened to be in a school that had career technical education opportunities or students who just happened to be in a school that had advanced placement classes or things of that nature so that we could sort of show that this is not just some idea, some random person's brain, but when it happens, it happens in isolation And when it does happen to kids, their outcomes are different. So we campaigned just like with a political campaign of someone running for office, there were lots of commercials. So we had to find people, teachers, parents, students who had that kind of story that fit into the narrative we were trying to tell, no matter what your background is. Because a lot of people, we've had even legislators say to us, ninth grade is too late. Kids decided to drop out way before ninth grade. And we had to push back against that and say, actually, this student was on a different path and then got into this class. And now they're going to Florida A&M on a scholarship for aeronautical engineering. So we had to go out and find those folks, which was a big part of our coalition building, working with 
I want to say 70 different organizations, chambers of commerce, community-based organizations that work with families of different ethnic backgrounds, individual superintendents, school board members. We got the school boards association to agree to support this campaign, even though part of the argument against us was it takes away local flexibility. And the school board said, we, we actually need these kinds of parameters to get this done and get this in our schools. So yeah, it took a year or so of building the coalition before we get on the ballot and then going to Salem to make sure the legislature provided resources. And I'm sure you also had a media outreach component too. Maybe you were doing you or maybe some of your champions were going and briefing the Oregonian Mm -hmm. or talking on radio, writing op-eds, all kinds of things, right? I was everywhere. (laughs) So yeah, editorial board meetings, a ton of those uh, this time four years ago, because this is when people really started to pay attention to what might be on the ballot in November. And we were on the ballot November of 2016, which was an interesting time to be on the ballot. And so I spent a lot of time crisscrossing the state talking to different editorial boards and always bringing local champion with me. So it wasn't just me and our campaign team, but really a local school board person, a local business that said, I have all these jobs available for $40 an hour and can't find the talent because kids aren't coming out of high school or out of community college or whatever with the skills we need to have these very good family wage jobs. And that was, that was our story. Fantastic. Well, congratulations. Thank you. On that big win. Thanks for tuning in to this K-Cup mini episode of Time for Coffee. If you want to listen to our entire caffeinated career conversation, please check out the show notes for this episode. Thanks so much for listening to this latest episode of T4C. And if you're interested in learning more about my coaching services for confused college students and recent grads, feel free to check out the Time for Coffee website under the coaching tab at time, the number four, coffee.org or text me at 202-236-5712. That's 202-236-5712. Thank you.